If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to open to the book of Colossians. We'll be looking at Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. So we've reached the final concluding verses in our preaching series of the book of Colossians. And as we've been working through this book in our preaching series, the main thing that we have seen in this book is that Christ is supreme. So today, as we look at these final verses, we're going to see that because Christ is supreme, we are on a mission. So follow along with me as I read from Colossians 4, verses 7 through 18. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Herapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demis send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see to it that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you and we pray and ask that you will meet with us this morning. Lord, you have promised to take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And Lord, we admit that we are stubborn in our ways, that we fail to turn to you when you call out to us over and over. So Lord, we pray that you will continue to call out to us this morning to draw us near to you, that we may know what you have done for us, and that we may find rest in you. We pray this in the name of of Jesus. Amen. So as I mentioned, our, our text today shows us that because Christ is supreme, we are on a mission. Now, you know, being on a mission is not really something we tend to think about a whole lot. You know, I imagine as you are standing at your kitchen sink, washing dishes, you're probably not thinking to yourself, I am on a mission to clean my kitchen. Or perhaps when you're, you know, out in your yard working in your flower beds or, you know, taking care of your yard, you're probably not thinking to yourself, I am on a mission to make my house look nicer. You know, it's not really something we, we think about a lot, but we are on a mission all the time. 
And when we are on a mission and we set out to accomplish something, it's when challenges arise, when difficulties arise in that mission that we stop and we reflect and ask this question, is this worth it? You know, I remember a, a time in my life when I was asking this, this question. In the summer of 2011, I was a youth group intern at a church in Ohio. And that summer, there were lots of trips and events that we were really, really looking forward to that, that summer. But the trip that we were looking forward to the most was a senior high boys backpacking and canoeing trip to Algonquin Park in Canada. It was a trip that the senior high boys designated as Manada, right? Because we're going to be living out of our backpacks, far away from any form of civilization. And we thought, this is going to be awesome, right? Wrong. <laughs> it was miserable. Absolutely miserable. It rained pretty much the entire time we were there. And it was much colder than we had planned or prepared for. So we were basically soaking wet and freezing cold the entire time. And the mosquitoes there, I mean, I don't think there is an adequate way that I can describe how intense these mosquitoes were. I mean, they're literally like dark clouds of them buzzing around our heads, like attacking us like at all times. It was miserable. And one of the things that the youth pastor failed to mention to me before this trip that perhaps might have caused me to reconsider this, this trip and my excitement going into it was that there were leeches in the water at, at this park. And now I'm just, I'm not going to go into that whole story, but needless to say, this trip was miserable. <laughs> And when I was out there in the canoe paddling and freezing cold, what was the question going through my head? Why, right? Why are we doing this? Why am I here? See, it's this, this challenge and this suffering and this difficulty that causes us to stop and reflect on the purpose and value of the mission we are on. And in our, in our passage today, remember, Paul is writing this letter as he is bound in chains, in prison. So when Paul reflects on this question, why, why is he here? The answer to this question was very clear for Paul. It comes from verse 3 in chapter 4. Why is Paul here? Why is Paul bound in chains? To proclaim Jesus. Did you guys know that this is actually our mission statement as a church? Proclaiming eternal life, radical transformation, and unspeakable joy through Jesus Christ. So if you are here today and you are a part of this church, you are on a mission to proclaim Jesus. This is our mission as a church. And today as we look at this passage in Colossians, these final verses... We're going to see that there are three ways that we participate in this mission of proclaiming Jesus. We'll see that we multiply in mission, we endure in mission, and we unite in mission. So first we see that we multiply in mission. 
Now, one of the people mentioned in this passage is only mentioned one other time in all of Scripture. Epaphras is mentioned here in verse 12, and then only one other time in chapter 1, verse 7 of, of Colossians. And look with me at verse 12. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you. So as, as Paul is writing this letter to the church in Colossae, he is acknowledging that Epaphras is a native Colossian. And what commentators agree is that Epaphras, Paul never actually visited Colossae, and so commentators agree that Epaphras must have visited Ephesus while Paul was there preaching and pro proclaiming Jesus. And Epaphras heard this message and responded by going home to his hometown in Colossae and proclaiming the good news of Jesus there. And this resulted in the birth of this church in Colossae. The church who are the, re the original recipients of this letter that we're currently reading. And in verse 13, Paul acknowledges that Epaphras is not just working hard for the church in, in Colossae, but he's actually working really hard for the churches in Laodicea and Herapolis as well, which also likely started through the ministry of, of Epaphras. So think about this. Just, just think about this for a moment. Epaphras started all of this by simply hearing the proclaimed message of Jesus and responding. These churches in Colossae, Laodicea, and Herapolis are the result of one person's faithfulness in hearing the good news of Jesus and responding by proclaiming it himself. And what happened is these churches responded, and they believed it, and therefore they went and started proclaiming. And these churches grew, and it had a multiplying impact when people joined this mission to proclaim Jesus. Now, many of you are aware of the name Tim Keller. Tim Keller is a prominent Reformed writer and pastor who has influenced thousands of people through his, his work and his writing and his ministry. And he's really helped them to understand what the good news of Jesus is. But have you ever actually wondered how, where did it start for, for Tim Keller? I mean, he wasn't always, always a Christian. Tim Keller became a Christian through the work and ministry of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And, and how did this, this ministry start? This was a college ministry that he got plugged into that then came to know Jesus through. And how did this ministry start? InterVarsity Christian Fellowship started in 1877 when a group of college students met regularly together to study God's word and proclaim Jesus to fellow students in 1877. And this ministry, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, continued to grow, and thousands and thousands of college students have come to know Jesus through this ministry. And not only have they come to know Jesus, but they have gone out to share the good news of Jesus with many other people as well, just like Tim Keller has. Because this mission, as we join a mission to proclaim Jesus, has a multiplying impact. And you know, I'm, I'm a fairly new dad. I have 
two girls under two. So please keep us in your, in your prayers. We could, uh, we could really use it right now. Um, but, you know, the main thing that I have learned in my short time of, of being a dad, being a father, is how significant of an impact I can have in this world through having children. Because as I have children and I make it a goal to lead them to Jesus, my, my hope is that in turn, when they get older and they have their own families, that they will do the same for their children. And then for their children's children. And then for their children's children's children and so on and so forth. Because that initial impact that I have grows through generation after generation. And you know, the same applies for us when we proclaim Jesus and are faithful to proclaiming Jesus. It has a multiplying impact. Now, as you are, are hearing this and you're listening, you may be thinking, yeah, well, you know, this mission and this mission, you know, it was able to work for Epaphras because it was just a different time then. You know, I can't just go out and proclaim Jesus and expect people to believe it and start going out and proclaiming Jesus themselves. Well, this actually leads us to our second point. It wasn't easy, right? The second point is that we endure in mission. And we know that, that this mission of proclaiming Jesus, this mission of Epaphras and Colossae Laodicea and Herapolis, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy for Epaphras. Look with me at verse 13. It says, Epaphras, who is working hard for you. Now, what's interesting about this, this passage and this word, uh, Paul could have used the normal word, the normal Greek word for work, which is very common, but he doesn't actually use that, that word here in this passage. Instead, he uses a Greek word that's only, that he only uses here in this passage that's only used three other times in all of Scripture in the book of Revelation to describe hard work, difficult work, anguishing, painful work. And Epaphras, on his mission to proclaim Jesus, it did not come naturally. It was not easy, but he had to work Hard. And here Paul is vouching for Epaphras because he is working so hard for these churches. And one of my friends in college was, was a potter. He would make things out of clay. And him and I were, were roommates. And so when we first started uh, living together, he brought a few mugs that he made back to our room. And they were beautiful and really awesome. And I had just started to get to know him. I didn't know really anything about what went into making something like that. So me and my ignorance asked him this, this favor that I had no idea how much would go into this. I asked him, oh, wow, those are cool. Can you make me a mug? And I was just like thinking, okay, whoop, voila, boom, then there's a mug. It would be that easy. And, you know, he... And his kindness said yes, and he, he made me one. But later on, he actually walked me through the process so I could see what all would go into making just a simple ceramic mug that he would make by, by hand. 
So first you, you start with the clay, right? You have to have the right clay. You have to get the right amount of clay. Then you have to knead the clay over and over and over, which is physically demanding and, and exhausting. Then you have to divide the clay into however many pieces you're going to use for what you're going to make, and you have to weigh those as well. Then you have to put it on the wheel, and you have to shape the clay into what you're hoping to make, which takes an incredible amount of skill, practice, and dedication. Then you have to trim it up a little bit, then you have to let it dry for a certain amount of time, then you have to glaze it, then you have to let it dry for a certain amount of time again, then you have to glaze it again. And then, I mean, there's just all these steps that go into making a ceramic mug. You know, here I am like, oh, hey, man, can you make me a mug, right? <laughs> like having no idea how much work went into making something like this. I just thought, oh, it was easy. Just voila, boom, it's, it's there. And, you know, the reality is we often think the same way when it comes to proclaiming Jesus. We think it's just going to come naturally. Voila, you know, suddenly people will come to know people as their savior. But just as making that ceramic mug took dedication, skill, and patience, proclaiming Jesus takes endurance. So when challenges arise as as they will, and when you start to lose patience and hope, when you start to feel like you're making no progress, remember Epaphras. Remember that it didn't come naturally, that he had to work hard. And you know, in, in the hard work of, of proclaiming Jesus, we have such a great hope, too. Because we know that we're not in this mission to proclaim Jesus alone. Right? What were Jesus' final concluding words to his apostles as he left? He says, behold, I am with you always. So as we go on this mission to proclaim Jesus, he is with us. He is with us when we succeed. He is with us when we fail, accomplishing that work through us. And not only do we have a hope that Jesus is with us and he's the one accomplishing the work through us, but we also have hope that we as a church are united in this together. And this leads us to our, our third point, that we unite in mission. Now, as you listen to this passage, what was, what was the main thing that you noticed about this passage? Was it the amount of names and people listed in this passage? I know Kevin joked last week about how, like, you know, it was like, oh, poor Rob getting stuck with this passage, having to pronounce all these names, right? Uh, yeah, where do you go with a passage like this? But Paul acknowledges 13 different people and groups of people. He acknowledges someone who was there with him in prison. Someone who had once been a slave. Someone who was a doctor. He acknowledges people who walked alongside Jesus as a disciple. He acknowledges people who are Jewish and Gentiles. He acknowledges men and women. And people who simply heard the proclamation of Jesus and responded by believing and proclaiming it themselves. 
And as he is acknowledging all these people, he is acknowledging that all of them are with him and together and united in this mission to proclaim Jesus. And, you know, it's not just Paul who's extending the greetings, right? But it's those who are with him who are also sending greetings to these churches and sending their encouragements to one another because they are all together in this mission. And, you know, for me, as I initially read this passage, I was kind of thinking, man, this feels like Paul's Oscar award-winning speech moment, right? Uh, You see Paul walk up onto the stage, and he, you know, grabs that Oscar, and he walks up to the mic, and he's just, wow. He says, "Uh, I want to thank Tychicus and and uh, Onesimus, where would, I, where would I be without you, brother? And, and Aristarchus, you've been by my side through this, you know, this whole journey. And, and, you know, Paul, he just goes on and he's saying all these names, acknowledging all these people. And you can hear the music start to play, right? Like, okay, Paul, you know, wrap it up, move on. And, you know, like, what these Oscar Award winners are doing in that moment is actually something really important, right? And something really significant. Because as they are in the spotlight winning that award and getting the attention, they are helping everyone to see that they didn't get there alone, right? They're acknowledging all those people who walked alongside of them and encouraged them and supported them the whole way. And you know, for us, we, we have a tendency to put Paul in the spotlight. We think, you know, this this job, this mission of proclaiming Jesus, it's Paul's job. He's the one doing the work. But here in our passage, we see that Paul is drawing our attention away from himself for a moment to, to expand our understanding of who is involved in this mission, to see that it is not Paul's job, it's the church's job to proclaim Jesus. And if you are here and you're a follower of Jesus, and you believe that you are unqualified for this mission of proclaiming Jesus, look at this passage. If you believe that proclaiming Jesus is for someone who's more social, more outgoing, Look at this passage. If you believe that this is a mission you can just simply opt out of at someone else's job, look at this passage. And if you believe that the mission, the job of proclaiming Jesus is the pastor's job, look at this passage. They were all united in this mission together to proclaim Jesus. And you see, this is how the gospel moved forward. This is how people came to find their hope and their peace and the salvation that is only found in Jesus. It was when they were united together in this mission, realizing that it wasn't just Paul's job, it was their job. All of us are part of this mission. And as I mentioned, right, this is our mission statement as a church. And, you know, we don't accomplish this simply through the preaching of God's word. We accomplish this mission through all the ministries within our church. And so 
there are many ways that you can be a part of this church and part of this mission to proclaim Jesus. It is a, something all of us can be a part of. Something a new Christian and an old Christian, introvert, extrovert, man, women, layperson, pastor, uneducated, educated, it is a job for all of us, a job for the church. And, you know, as we consider all these things, as we consider the, the ways that we participate in this mission, the question we need to ask is, why? Right? I mean, it was the same question I was asking myself when I was in that canoe, freezing cold, soaking wet. Why, right? Why am I here? Why do we multiply in mission? Why do we endure in mission? Why do we unite in mission? One of Disney Pixar's most loved and well-known movies is the movie Finding Nemo. This movie captivates the audience's hearts through a story of a father clownfish, Marlin, setting out on a dangerous, dangerous mission across the ocean to rescue his lost one and only child. And in the beginning of this movie, Marlin and his clownfish wife are, are caring for their many eggs with excitement, looking forward to meeting all their little fish. Then a tragedy unfolds. All their eggs and even his wife are destroyed in this attack by a predatory fish. And you see the scene of Marlin there acknowledging his loss, grieving, and he looks down and he sees one last egg. And this egg, this cracked egg hatches and becomes Nemo, Marlin's only child and only family. And as Nemo gets older, he gets a little more rebellious and at one point ventures out into a part of the ocean where his father told him never to go into because it was dangerous. And what happens, Nemo and his rebellion gets captured by a diver and taken away. Nemo, Marlin's only family and only child, is lost. It then becomes Marlin's mission to find and rescue Nemo at whatever cost. Marlin, he sets out on that mission across the great blue ocean, braving numerous treacheries, risking his life in many cases, giving and sacrificing everything to find his son. Nothing is going to stop Marlin and his mission to rescue his lost child. And we see at the end of the movie, after this long, dangerous mission where Marlon has sacrificed and risked so much that finally him and Nemo are reunited. Nemo is found. Marlon has found his lost child. You know, it's a journey that is a picture. It's a mission of the picture of the mission that Jesus set out on for us. 
Because we too were hopelessly lost in our sin, unable to save ourselves. And Jesus himself took upon the mission to come and rescue us who were hopelessly lost in our sin. And it cost Jesus everything. Everything. His life. He laid down his life for us. And we know that Jesus, who laid down his life for us, he also rose again from the dead and now reigns supreme. So why, right? Why are we on this mission? Because Christ is supreme. Let's pray. Dear Lord, continue to teach us, continue to draw our hearts to you to see how beautiful you are, to see the weight and the value of the sacrifice you made for us and setting out on a mission to save us as we are hopelessly lost in our sin, unable to do anything for ourselves. And Lord, I pray by your love for us, by your authority and the words you have given to us that you will empower us through your grace and spirit to go and proclaim the good news of what you have done, not only for us, but for all. Help us in this mission. Help us as a church to proclaim you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.